welcome to the Duchess of Science. Each week, we're going to be joined by a superstar ally from science, technology, engineering, maths or medicine. They're going to be here to answer your anonymous questions and give a little bit of help to early career researchers. For this episode, we're joined by the fabulous Cathy Abbott from the University of Edinburgh. She is a professor of neuroscience, a keen member of Tiger STEM, and just generally an all-round good egg. So without further ado... Okay. Dear Duchess, I'm about to go into my second year of a PhD with a supervisor who's kind of a big deal in our field and beyond. I knew when I started that this would mean there there were a lot of demands on his time, but as the project goes on, I'm finding it harder and harder to get any feedback. The biggest problem is that every so often he will ask me to send him things to look over and then just never respond. The couple of times that I've followed up in what I thought was a polite way, he has reacted really defensively. He insists that he hasn't forgotten, but then goes quiet. I try to stay mindful that my project isn't top of his priorities, but I'm worried that as I get towards the end of my experiments, I will need more support, and I don't want to annoy him by pestering him too much. Uh, This is making me anxious about asking him anything. Do you have any advice on how to get some feedback without irritating him? Find ghosted by my supervisor. Right, so I think this is quite a common issue. Um, And I suppose the first thing to say is that you have an absolute right to have support and supervision. This person has taken you on to do a PhD and they really have to give you some guidance and not expect you to do everything yourself. Of course, I can't tell from this whether there's a day-to-day supervisor or whether regular lab meetings or anything else. But I suppose what I would advise is trying to take a fairly structured approach to it and be quite specific. So rather than just saying, um, can you give me some feedback on what I sent you, I would say, send an email saying I would, really like to make a specific time to see you I will need about 30 minutes these are the kind of things I need help with flatter them if necessary so just say you know I'd really welcome your advice on this I'm trying to think of two specific directions I should go try and be as specific as possible so it's not a kind of open-ended anxiety I don't know what I'm doing help help um that would be quite reasonable and they should still respond but it sounds like in this specific case you might get further if you you can just be quite narrow in what you're asking um so you, you would say can we have 30 minutes next week at some time i will send you the data two days before and then i would would really welcome your advice on what to do next something like that and then assuming that works follow up with a sort of you know thank you that was really helpful blah 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 this is what I'm going to to do these are bullet points of what you got from the meeting and to see if he agrees with them and then try and set up that habit so that you do that on a you know even say could we do this every three months or or whatever interval suits you because I think if you get into the habit of thinking oh, no, I don't want to offend him, Uh, you know, it's really difficult, he's very busy and everything. When it comes to your thesis, it's going to be really difficult because you you will need timely feedback on your chapters 
And if you got into that habit of having that conversation with him and you know also what what he thinks is a good direction to go in, a good way to frame frame your results and things, and that will serve you well in the, the future, I think. Um, Would you advise at all about getting a second supervisor? So that was that was the other thing I was going to say. So definitely certainly in the UK in, in most places you should have a second supervisor and that's somebody that you should definitely feel free to call on um, Is that the norm? When, when people because I know from my PhD I did have two supervisors but that was split between two institutions and a lot of my friends only had one and so I'm just wondering if this is something that's sort of changed uh, over the last 10 years, that people generally now are given two supervisors and it's quite, quite normal. I thought it was quite normal. Um, we, in Edinburgh, you had to have two supervisors in, certainly in the College of Medicine for as long as I've been here. Um, and I think in most places... It was quite easy for that to just sort of slip through the cracks a bit when it was all paper forms. But now most places have some kind of online system for registration. They usually require a second supervisor to be be named at some point. And then in other places you'll have, um, maybe even in addition to a second supervisor, you'll have a thesis committee. So you'll have a thesis committee chair and external and people like that that you can call on every centre I would have thought should have some kind of postgraduate director that you could also go to but ultimately you really want if you can tackle it with your first supervisor that's the best thing because if if he's a big shot in the field he's going to be the expert and your second supervisor may have been chosen more for pastoral care really rather than because of expertise in the subjects they may not be able to give you the kind of focused advice that that you need and again if you extrapolate down to the sort of point at which you're writing up it, you're going to need somebody who really knows the field it yeah. will help you so if you can get hit this first supervisor on board so much the better and one, one thing that that um occurred to me when i was thinking about you know this person would find a second supervisor super useful do you have any recommendations about how you would approach that with your first supervisor, the prospect of, of actually going to your supervisor and saying, I think I need a second supervisor. Like, is there a good, a good approach or a good script, especially with someone like this supervisor who's kind of a big deal? And so obviously you're sort of managing someone's ego at the same time. So is there... I, I yeah, I mean, it's not a situation I've come across because we, we, as first supervisors, have to nominate a second supervisor before the ten-week report stage. So it's it's already cast in stone. But I think in this case, I would probably just appeal to his vanity and just say, either in the email or in ideally in the meeting that you've managed to get with him. Um, that you you realise that he's incredibly busy with being the sort of top person in the field, expert, blah blah blah, um, and you're wondering if it 
if he thought it might be a good idea to have a second supervisor so you've got somebody else that you can approach when he's really just up to his eyes with all his important conferences and things and um yeah I think and that has he got anybody in mind yeah a good approach to sort of uh frame it as being useful to him yeah exactly yeah um, i mean I he shouldn't need to but i think but probably from what we can glean of his personality <laughs> from here yeah, i think that's probably the way that's, yeah, yeah. that's probably the way to go flattery all yeah. the way <laughs> And, and uh, definitely, if there's a postdoc in the lab who is, because they will be total experts in the the field. If there's somebody that you can go to and get a bit more support than just where's this restriction enzyme kept, then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think yeah, I would yeah. definitely make a plug for um, the older PhD students. Yeah, all the PhD exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, definitely in my masters, they they probably taught me a lot more yeah, than my yeah. actual supervisors because they're really available because you're actually quite often you know you're working on the bench together and it's it's a much much easier way to get your questions answered than you know waiting for someone who's extremely busy and often they've actually you know they've actually gone to the same person and asked that question so you are actually getting the same information yeah it's just that it's much more accessible. Yeah, totally. And I suppose really it comes down to the, you know, sort of it takes a village really because different people will have different expertise at different levels. And if you come back down to the thing of the thesis chapters, in an ideal world, you want somebody who's examined lots of PhDs giving you feedback on them, which people in the lab will probably not have that. They'll They'll have done their own PhD, but they won't necessarily be able to pick up oh that's the kind of thing that really irritates examiners that's the kind of thing that's not acceptable so you you really want different styles of supervision different levels of supervision at all the different stages so the more people you can get on board Mm -hmm. early on the better and absolutely one of the things I, I took from this is once you get to that position of being kind of a big deal in your field, it usually means that it's actually quite a long time since you yeah, were yeah. Oh, there yeah. on the front line actually working in the lab. So, you know, as you say, it's um, they're going to be absolutely really useful when it comes to writing up the thesis and letting you know exactly, uh, you know, what you need to do in that regard but in terms of actual practical work I, I definitely found that some yeah. of the uh, most prestigious uh, people that I came across you know you, you wouldn't ask them how to do anything in the lab because no for sure yeah and that, and that really comes down to um, the reason I was suggesting quite a structured approach at the start because yeah. if you you s- you talk about you know I need help with interpreting mm. these results and the direction I go in next you're, you're likely to get a much better response from the supervisor than if he thinks you might be coming in to to ask him about the nitty-gritty of a protocol and where you should order such and such a reagent from mm-hmm. and it's I think, I think it's always sort of worth keeping in mind that when you're dealing with someone with a big ego you never want to ask them a question that they don't actually know the answer true, to. True, true. That's know? very so good I, point. I think, yeah. You know that that's really important, as you say, to sort of work out strategically who's my best target. Yeah. So, yeah. I 
I think the take-home message is really ask a lot of different people, yep. get a lot of different support, and and definitely um, for, from people I know, uh, the second supervisor can be absolutely yeah. invaluable. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad to get it. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Okay. <laughs> So, should we move on to the next one? Yeah, sure. Dear Duchess, I earned my PhD a little later than most, and thus I find myself starting my first postdoc position at the same time as my first round of IVF. I've managed to schedule this around my working hours, and so I haven't brought it up at work. Last week, it came up at a family dinner, and my brother-in-law told me that I was essentially lying by omission, and that I should have mentioned my plans at the interview. The women at the table did stand up for me, but it's left me wondering, is he right? And if so, how do I bring it up at work now without looking like I was dishonest? Signed, not pregnant yet. Right. Um, I am with the women at the table. I'm not with your brother-in-law. Um, I think it would be uh, very risky to have brought it up at interview. They would not be allowed to ask you at interview. Um, and I think from that you can assume that it's your right not to have to to mention it. Um, I suppose that a, you know that because postdocs are employees, then we're talking about employment law, and there are different levels at which you could think about this question. So, at a very generic level, as a postdoc, I suppose um, I think one of the best things you could do is to have a look at who your grant is from that's employing you and most granting agencies will have advice on their websites about exactly what they provide for cases of maternity leave and that varies enormously and the impact on the lab and the supervisors will depend on exactly what those policies are so UKRI for example if you take a year out for maternity leave, you get a year tacked onto the the other end of the the grant. So you're still delaying things, but but there's no overall impact on your productivity. But there are a lot of small charities, for example, that won't fund that kind of thing. Um, and the whole time that you're away may be just completely lost from the the grant. So um, the lab would suffer in those circumstances unless the the university or somebody like that will will actually pick up the um, the cost of that and some people will and some people won't so I would say definitely f get your ducks in a row find out exactly what all the policies are before that in terms of employment law um, in the UK ACAS have got a very good uh, web page and their advice is that you should, um, from the point at which you have implantation at IVF, you're considered to be pregnant, so you would be covered by the law, but you're not covered during all the treatment cycles. So you have no employment protection at that stage and no right to sick leave unless it, the, the treatment makes you ill. Um, but you can only really be covered by the employment law after implantation if you tell your employer what's happened and then that's a massive risk because then the moment you have a negative pregnancy test you're not pregnant and you're not covered by the law anymore. So it, it's 
definitely a minefield, but I would say for sure don't you didn't do the wrong thing by not mentioning it at, at interview at all. No, it's, it's I, I feel like that that's the approach all women would yeah would advise. Yeah. And um I I think the complicating thing here is is the fact that it's uh, IVF and so the letter writer is feeling like you yeah. know, it, it's a very definite um intention but with the best will in the world you know you, you cannot predict the outcome and you know you cannot predict the time scale that, that you're going to need for that to be successful and so although it feels like you know you're very intentionally going ahead to get pregnant actually your situation really it actually isn't that different from somebody who's just trying to conceive quite naturally and if you flip it around like that you, you it's easy to understand that nobody really goes in and tells their boss you know exactly. that, that they are hoping yeah. to get pregnant so I, I think you know what I would say to this person is uh, really yeah you have to stop stop listening to brothers-in-law yeah. um, or, or just anyone that, that is telling you that you're lying because you're absolutely not it's you're really in, in kind of exactly the same position as anyone anyone who's trying to get pregnant yes yeah, totally I think probably the unease comes from the fact that there's a third party involved and there are other yeah. people involved and there's stuff written down somewhere mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. what's happening but you just have to put that out of your mind because that's not that's just part of the, the process. It doesn't make it any more yeah. official in terms of the law or yeah, telling your employer. Kind of none of their business. Yeah, absolutely. In the, in the yeah. same way that you know you wouldn't discuss your natural efforts to, yeah. to have a baby with no, your employer. No, you wouldn't. No. It's absolutely not their business. Yeah. <laughs> what, what you sort of do um, outside of work and, and how you choose to about your family it's um yeah so i think yeah the overall <laughs> advice is just keep them and uh fingers crossed really yeah yeah totally and and everything i said about looking at the policies about the the um people who are funding your work and everything would apply equally to mm -hmm. anybody thinking about get, getting pregnant however mm -hmm. that was going to happen so yeah just um good luck really so would you like to read the last one? Yes, one? I would. Um, dear Duchess, I'm facing multiple problems in my workplace and I'm, <coughs> sorry, and I'm thinking of dropping out of my current PhD programme. My friends think I should continue as I don't have other options. They say I should leave only once I have other PhD calls. What do you think? And that's signed, not at peace with my heart. So... Yeah, firstly, I decided to answer this one because I, I do have a bit of experience with it. So I think firstly, I would say, oof, I'm sorry that you're in that position. I, it absolutely sucks. And it's um, it's a terrible, terrible thing when, when you do get to the point of, of thinking, I'm just going to drop out and, and it doesn't matter if I have something else lined up, you know, because that suggests to me that the situation is really quite bad and it's obviously affecting you on a day-to-day -day basis and so from my own personal experience, unfortunately, 
I would say that your friends are correct and that the most prudent thing to do would be absolutely to have something else lined up. Um, you know, uh, it's a, you know, a good analogy is when people want to leave an abusive relationship that it's super important to make sure that you have your escape plan, yeah. that you don't discuss it with uh, people in your lab when you're thinking of leaving because I mean, it's a hotbed of gossip and, yeah. and you do have to know that if, if you start talking about that it, it's the chances are it is going to get back to your supervisor in which case you're going to be in a position where uh, whether you like it or not you have actually burnt your bridges so um it's yeah i would definitely say look around have have your options open but also uh start to look around within the lab for sympathetic people that might potentially be able to act as a referee for you because i think we were saying it's so uh, you need in the uk at least you need two referees for yeah any phd yeah. applications so you know it depends on your situation with your supervisor certainly with mine uh, the supervisor was the problem and it it you know made it absolutely impossible to go back and approach them for a reference and so definitely a piece of advice would be trying to cultivate relationships with other people within your lab that potentially could act as a referee um, and also it's yeah it's just super important to think about potential ramifications mm. I know Kathy you were telling me um, for certain students particularly overseas students it's super important to think about your funding, funding situation yeah. Yeah, I mean, at the risk of sounding obsessed with funding, um, we've I've certainly heard of situations where students have come to UK on um, scholarships funded by their own governments, and the actually the the grounds on which those scholarships have been granted are that if the student drops out or fails at any time, they they're liable to pay back the fees and stipend that they've um, incurred up until that point, which could leave you with a massive debt um, that's obviously something that is between you and your funder and, and you need to to find out it, it's more straightforward if you're in the UK again if you're from overseas and you're on a tier 4 visa for example you've only got a certain amount of time um, once you've given up your PhD before you'd have to leave the country and that could then impact on your um, ability to find somewhere else but I mean the only other thing I would add to that a, a again with this sort of situation is do you have a, a director of postgraduate studies that you could speak to because it could be that the situation in your lab's very bad but there's another group working on a very similar problem and they may collaborate and maybe you could spend a bit more time in the collaborators lab locally or so you know there are things that you and your friends won't be in a position to know about necessarily that somebody with a lot of experience of all the groups in the um, this department or the centre or something may 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 have seen before and, and may have other ways of solving. Um, yeah, would you say, um, from your point of view, as as someone who's sort of you know seen 
many, many PhD students and many different outcomes. Um, what, you know, as, as a PhD supervisor, what, in, how do you view it if, um, if somebody sort of approaches you or uh, someone in the department and they have dropped out of a PhD and they're wanting to, so, you know, yeah. if, if someone's in that position where they've already jumped and, you know, unfortunately, for a lot of reasons, people do sometimes have to drop out. It's, it's a yeah, case absolutely. of, you know, for the, the sake of their mental health, it's the best decision for them. It's, it's Sometimes it is the only decision. Yeah. And so in that situation, um, you know, are you able to tell us sort of how 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 it's received by you if if uh, if you come across someone who who's had to drop out um yeah i mean we've certainly seen applications from people who have have dropped out and they've usually been fairly um honest but neutral about it in their covering letter that it's not a sort of tirade against the place that they've they've left but the successful ones have had a referee who shed a bit more light on the situation because of course what you really don't want to give the impression of is somebody who just kind of picks something up and gets bored and moves on because the, any supervisor will then be thinking well maybe they'll do the same here yeah. so you want to make it clear that you had serious and considered reasons for you know so even yeah. in your covering letter you can say after a lot of um thoughts and soul searching exactly make it clear yeah. that it was a difficult decision yeah. but one that you had to come to yeah. and that that this is now what you've decided to do and give your your reasons for why you think this is going to be better and will yeah. suit you in the in the longer term and I guess that sort of comes back to uh, the advice that uh, this letter writer's friends have given um which is, you know, to do your research first, because, you know, yeah, if you're in that yeah. situation, the main thing you've got to think about is, you know, although at the time, obviously, when you're thinking of dropping out, everything seems absolutely terrible, and it's incredibly yeah. difficult to put a positive or even neutral spin on it, but it is kind of important, because, you know, as you say, you... You, you're not really it's going to be very difficult to find someone to take you on if you know you're just incredibly negative about uh, about your old supervisor and and you know and, and one thing I, I think can be really difficult is when you've been in a bad situation you've been in a bad laboratory and a bad lab yeah it it can come through that you sort of hate science that yeah yeah you that's a very good point yeah field you hate uh, you know and, and because quite frankly they just crush crush yeah. the love of the subject out of you so it's really super important to bear in mind that you know when when you're under that kind of pressure and that kind of stress um it it can really it can really affect um how how you come across and how yeah, your passion comes yeah. across and so I think that was really quite key as you were saying to sort of you know have someone in your corner as a referee that can really explain 
you know, and and uh, give a bit of balance to the situation and, and explain, you know, that this person is passionate and, yeah. you know, it was really enthused by the field and, and, you know, it wasn't in any way a case of, of just, you know, throwing up their hands and saying, oh, that's it, I, I'm done with it. Because I think, I think everybody that goes into science, it, everybody does it because they're passionate. I mean, yeah, otherwise you just, yeah. you wouldn't do it. Um, yeah. And you wouldn't succeed and you wouldn't get anywhere. But, you know, when you've been put in this situation where it's just super tough and, you know, it really comes through in in just their short letter that it's obviously really putting them in a, a dilemma and, and affecting how they feel about everything. So it's really important that you bear that in mind. That, yeah. you know, when you're in that state, you're possibly not in the best place to communicate your love and passion for science. And it's really great to have someone who has seen you in the lab and, you know, possibly saw you before you got your your, your spirit crushed. And Yeah, absolutely. And if you, you know, we talked before about maybe accessing student counselling services mm -hmm. and things like that. Anything you can do to improve your mental state, even if you're going to be applying for other things, will help you to put a positive spin on the new application and that's going to be quite important because you can actually pitch it as a positive this is something that you've you tried and you know what doesn't work for you and what you don't like and mm -hmm. um, you're now applying to such and such a program or such and such a person because that's exactly what you want to do and you know that you want to do it because you've experienced something else mm -hmm. and then in a way you're almost at an advantage compared to somebody who's just kind of just finished their undergraduate degree and they can't really think what to do next but they they're quite good at it so they might as well do a PhD you've got you've got something actually positive to say mm -hmm. so you can put that kind of spin on it but you need to be in the right place mentally to be able to do that yeah I think that's, that's actually really really good point is um you know i think when people drop out or it, it's it's never on a whim it's, yeah you know yeah. it really isn't and i think that's a really good point that uh, you do actually take a lot from it whether you yeah. come out with a phd at the end or i mean i know people that um have been awarded masters yeah and, and yeah. things like that so also that that is something to discuss is you know uh are there other options? Yeah, other exit strategies that, that yeah, you can yeah. come up with that are not going to leave you in that position of just looking like you you just gave up and left, you know, yeah. because there are options like that. Um, and I think the other thing that it's really important to say is one place that a lot of people get a lot of comfort and support is social media. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, because... It, I think the thing that you'll find is that you're definitely, definitely not alone. There's absolutely hundreds, if not thousands, of PhD students who are yep. going through really similar things. Um, but definitely one thing we discussed is um, how good... If, if you're in a really bad place and you do just want to whinge about your, your PhD, it's a really great outlet, but it's maybe sensible to um, create yourself a bit of an anonymous account yeah, and yeah. just bear in mind especially you know if, if you anticipate that uh, this situation is, is really going to impact your, your mental health and 
therefore potentially the tone of things that you're posting online it's really important to think about you know who might be reading this in two years time when you're actually feeling a lot better about the yeah. situation so I mean I've, I've definitely I don't know about you but I've definitely seen a lot of uh, PhD students on, on social media who are definitely using it in that way to find that community and find people who are going through similar things but at the same time they do it in an anonymous way which means yeah. there isn't going to be some kind of uh, comeback on it and you know it's, it's I think uh, definitely when you're in that situation and you're feeling terribly isolated especially if you're uh, from an underrepresented group and you are the only person in your lab it, 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 it can be incredibly lonely and nobody can really relate to it but yeah. absolutely online yeah it doesn't it doesn't matter you know what your your group is or your demographic or what your problem is actually you will be amazed there will be a definitely yeah. a community somewhere and um hopefully they can give you the support and uh firstly make you feel a little bit better about it but just yeah also just let you know that it, it's it's definitely not personal yes it's, yeah because I think I think that's uh, can definitely be one of the problems is that when when people are doing their PhD, it's incredibly intense. It's incredibly uh, focused, and one of the things you have to do is absolutely remind yourself that there <laughs> there is a world outside, and you know it uh, it's very important, but it's not the be all and end all. And, you know, there are other people that are going through it, other people that drop out, there are people that, yeah. uh, you know, just leave academia altogether or, or come back after a break. But, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's important to sort of bear in mind that, you know, when you're in that stressful situation and you're really feeling like I'm going to quit, it's not the best, you're not in the best frame of mind to be making good you know, the best decisions yeah. for future you. So I think what I would do is just really, really urge you to, you know, just just bear it in mind. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, yeah. And definitely go ahead and go on Twitter and have, like, epic rants about everything that's so horrible, but just don't do it in such a way that uh, your potential new supervisor might come across it and get put off and I think actually that that's sort of the point that I wanted to finish with is you know uh, we've heard about the implications of, of dropping out and uh, that they can be financial and yeah. you know at the end of the day I think we're in agreement that you know for anyone who's thinking of dropping out it's not an easy decision and you can talk to everyone around you and get all of the advice but at the end of the day you know it's your mental health is, is really yeah. really important and it's absolutely not worth uh continuing with something which actually as we were saying if if you're in this situation you know potentially 
you do need to think about it and think, you know, what what is my position, what what is the effect going to be on my mental health in a year's time yeah. or two years' time. And really, you know yourself and, you know, you, you really have to keep it as your top priority <laughs> that it's, nothing is worth, you know, sacrificing your mental health for. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, so... Certainly, I think first port of call. Would you agree? Is like student counselling. Yes, and getting advice from um, mm-hmm. other people in the in the department, as you say, finding your sort of peer group support. Mm-hmm. I think there are discussion boards on places like Find a PhD and things like that as yeah. well. Um, that would be slightly more anonymous than Twitter, but mm. seek out as much help and support as you can but then make the decision that's best for you, really. Yeah, and I I think definitely, um, you know, your friends are are giving super good advice, but, you know, always bear in mind that that the the only person that can make that decision at the end of the day is you. Your your friends don't know exactly how you're feeling inside, so, you know, obviously listen to them because they are giving good advice, but, you know... Just, just don't. Um, yeah, I think don't feel like it's the absolute end of the world. If yeah, because it's, it's, yeah. it's not. It's yeah. not ideal, and we would yeah. all rather finish. Yeah. But you know, it's. Uh, I think as you get a little older, you realise that there are other yeah other ways to spend your life. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Like. There are other fun things to do yeah. apart from PhDs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> other fun things. <laughs> I mean, if, yeah. if you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Uh, I think I think that's everyone for today. Thank you, it's been great. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have a question you'd like to hear answered in the new year, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at broad underscore science, or you can just drop us an email at hrhscience at gmail.com. Until then, have a lovely festive period and keep your chin up.